Hello, and welcome to the History of Haiti. Loan sharking is the practice of giving loans intended to be detrimental to the receiver. As we talked about last episode, France had Haiti agreed to pay a large indemnity in exchange for independence. Since Haiti didn't have the capital to pay the indemnity, they were forced to take out loans to pay for the indemnity. These loans would have to be taken out at large interest rates, creating what has been called the double debt. This was a position where Haiti was stuck paying both the indemnity and the interest from all the loans it had taken out. So, in this episode, we will talk a little bit about the loans Haiti was forced to take out. When Boyer accepted the ordinance, he only announced that, Fre that the French government had recognized Haitian independence, neglecting the fact that he had agreed to pay the French a large amount of money. As I talked about last episode, this created a wave of patriotism, but even before the general public found out about the indemnity, many people were mad about the ordinance. In the north, Christophe had somewhat indoctrinated the population to always hate the French, so the population was now distrustful of Boyer. At this time, the roads and infrastructure of Haiti were not built up well, and communication across the island was pretty hard. Thus, a rumor spread that Boyer had just given the country over to France, which I mean, he kind of had. So, a plot began for another revolt, but it was suppressed when Boyer came north and arrested its leaders. This would not be the last revolt attempt that Boyer would have to suppress. Boyer eventually had to announce the ordinance, and when he did, the population's anger at Boyer grew exponentially. The ordinance now was not just an insult, but a document that bound the Haitians to paying for the independence they had won. Up until this point, Boyer had had the confidence of the majority of the nation, but the indemnity marked a turning point in Boyer's public relations, and it began Boyer and the country on the long, slow road that would eventually result in Boyer being overthrown. The first loan Haiti took out to cover the debt was a massive 30 million franc loan from a French bank. They charged an annual interest rate of 6%, and the loan would be paid by Boyer over 20 to 25 years. In addition, they charged a 6 million franc service fee. So ships with Haitian treasure began leaving to pay bankers in France. One of these ships was actually attacked by some angry Haitians, trying to prevent their money from being stolen by Europeans. But it went anyway. The recognition of Haitian independence by the French opened the door for diplomatic relations between Haiti and the rest of the world. Many countries who had maintained trade with Haiti now chose to send consuls to Haiti. Haiti was a large exporter of cash crops such as coffee into Europe, so many European countries wanted to protect their interests in Haiti. At this time, Germany was divided into many different countries. One of these small countries, the Republic of Bremen, was the first country other than France to enter diplomatic relations with Haiti, and they sent a consul. Then a consul from the Netherlands arrived, whose appointment actually predated the ordinance. Soon consuls from France, Prussia, Britain, the Kingdom of Norway and Sweden, and Hamburg were all present in Haiti. As promised by Macau, the Haitians had the opportunity to negotiate parts of the ordinance with the French. Originally, Boyer had negotiated with the French consul in Port-au-Prince, 
but that went nowhere. nowhere. The revealing of the indemnity created a lot of anti-French sentiment, and the French consul was harassed to the point where he was he had to be guarded by armed Haitian guards. So, in summer 1826, Boyer sent a commercial agent to France to negotiate directly with the French government. Among other things, he negotiated with France the reduction that the reduction in France, French tariffs would only last for five years. Then they started negotiations about the indemnity, which was really complicated and probably aren't worth talking about. The commercial agent negotiated that the time to pay the indemnity up from five years to 20 years and negotiated that a major part of the indemnity would be paid in 1828. Even in the first few years, the Asian government quickly fell behind on payments, leading to new negotiations over the schedule for the repayment and loans. To pay the indemnity, Boyer did a census, which I will come back to in a second, so that the payment of the indemnity could be split among the citizens of the Republic. Boyer kept the government's finances afloat by resorting to a tactic the nations throughout modern history, from the Weimar Republic to 2010's Venezuela, have resorted to in times of financial instability. Printing money. He began printing banknotes for Haitian gourds, and passed a law that they must be accepted at face value. Although, unlike what you'd expect, this did not lead to runaway inflation. The amount of gourds printed was small, and only enough to allow Boyer's government to keep paying its bills. When Boyer announced the indemnity, plots to overthrow him began to pick up steam. The army specifically was, as always, a hotbed of revolutionary activity. Borghella, a prominent general who now commanded Santo Domingo, was among those angry at Boyer. An army officer came to him and offered to kill Boyer, but Borghella told him not to. Instead, constitutional reforms to curb the power of Boyer were proposed in the Senate and House, but Boyer used his control of these legislatures to shut these calls for reform down. Side note, in these legislative sessions, they passed a set of laws called the Code Rural, which I will come back to next episode. In response to calls for reform being oppressed, a new group of people who belonged to an ideology that was now re-emerging began plotting their own assassination attempt. These were the people who I will call the Black Supremacists. And because racial tension is going to be a key force in Haitian politics for, like, forever, I will now introduce their ideology. So after the massacre of the whites in 1804, Haiti had been divided between two races. On one side was the blacks, who either had been brought over from Africa, or whose parents had been brought over from Africa. Then there were the coloreds. The coloreds were the people who had both black and white blood. Generally speaking, the coloreds were far wealthier than the blacks and had far more influence in the Haitian government and military. Generally speaking, the black supremacists believed in what Christophe had been telling his subjects about Petion, that the coloreds were destroying Haiti, were selling the country to the French, and needed to be overthrown and replaced with a black government. They, fought, they thought that Boyer's acceptance of the ordinance was him selling the country to the French. On the other side of the divide stood people like the late Jurine and André Rigaud and President Boyer. 
powerful color to control the government and country. Many of them, in particular the late André Rigo, wanted to centralize political and economic power around the colored elite. This racial tension would become a reoccurring trend in Haitian politics. The plot that formed around the assassination of Boyer was created by some of these black supremacists. Many these conspirators were drawn from the ranks of the army, but from minor commanders. Many high-ranking commanders like Borghella knew about the plot but stayed out of it. The conspirators, which was a decently sized group of people, met in meetings. Among the conspirators was a young Faustin Solonke, who would in time win his triumph over the colored elite. Their fairly ridiculous plan was to assassinate Boyer and then somehow get Borghella to become president. Then they planned to assassinate the colored Borghella as he returned from Santo Domingo and replace him with a black general. When the day came to assassinate Boyer, the plot didn't work out. Their plan was to shoot Boyer as he walked down the path he usually did. But for some reason, the person who was supposed to do this didn't, probably because he got cold feet. Before they got another chance, a member of the plot ratted the plot out to Boyer, and four conspirators were arrested. These four were executed, but the majority of the conspirators and people like Borghella, who knew about the conspiracy, were let go. In France, the negotiations between Haiti and French banks, French banks and the French government dragged on. Eventually, a sort of treaty proposed by the French banker was agreed to by both sides. This treaty created a new schedule for repayment and recalculated how much would be paid on certain dates. The census done by Boyer to create a new tax to cover the indemnity is actually the first census done in Haiti in a while. In episode 41, I talked about the administrative divisions of the Republic. I'd written a paragraph on the geographical boundaries between the departments, but I cut that from episode 41 because the episode was too long. So, I will end this episode with that paragraph and the data from the census. To begin in the east with Santo Domingo, the Spanish part of the island covered two-thirds of the island, but had a much smaller population than the Haitian side, with only 61,000 people. It was defined by sprawling Dominican cattle farms. Its main city remained as Santo Domingo. It was, however, divided into two administrative departments of Ciboa and Ozama. Moving over to the French-speaking side, we start with the North Province. The area that, that now made up the North Province was once the heart of Saint-Domingue. It was an incredibly fertile plain, which was perfect for large cash crops. Large cat ash crop plantations, specifically sugar plantations. Like the rest of the country, it had been ravaged by the Haitian Revolution, and Christophe had tried to rebuild it. But the fall of Christophe had created a period of decline for the north. Its capital city was Le Cap, which, was, which had once been known as the Paris of the Antilles, but had taken a huge hit during the Haitian Revolution. It had been burnt to the ground twice, once by Christophe himself. himself but it had slowly rebuilt, although it now had a smaller population than both Port-au-Prince and Le, and Le Cai. The North Plain bordered, was bordered by mountains on the south and west, such as the one the Citadel was built on. 
going west, you get to the north province of Haiti. So Haiti looks north peninsula of Haiti. So Haiti looks like an inverse C, with peninsulas in the north and south. The northern peninsula was a part of the north province. It was a rocky and mountainous area, but it included ports such as port au Pay and Mont-Saint-Nicolas. If you remember from about 12 episodes ago, this is where Lamar had fought his guerrilla-like war against Christophe. According to the census, the North Province had a population of 238,000. Going south into a less mountainous region, we arrive at the Artibonite Administrative District. This department, this, like the North, was mostly a large plain. It was named after the Artibonite River. It was a much less fertile plain, however. Just south of the North Province was the city of Gonaives, a major port. The capital of the Artibonite was the port city of Saint Mark. The Artibonite only had a population of around of about seventy thousand. Further south, into the region which had been ruled by Pétion, there was the West Department, which, confusingly enough, was the easternmost of the departments. It had the fertile cul-de-sac plain, and of course, more mountains. Here, under the rule of Pétion. The plantation economy had been slowly withering away to be replaced with a system of small farms. The capital of the West Department was, of course, Port-au-Prince, which was now one of the largest cities in Haiti. According to the census, it had a population of 90,000, which is very large. It was the center of it was a center of culture and commerce. Across the southern peninsula was the port city of Jacmel, which according to the census, was the largest city in Haiti by population, although it should be noted for both Jacmel and Port-au-Prince that the census included areas that surrounded the city as part of the city. The West Province was the largest department, West Department, was the largest department by population, with around 322,000 people. Going west, about a third of the southern peninsula, the lower side of the inverse sea, was in the west department, while the other two-thirds were in the south department. Here was where André Rico had created an independent republic. This, as well as the west province, were heavily controlled by the coloreds. It was very mountainous, and like the west, hosted, hosted small farms. The capital city of the south was Lakai, another important regional city, was the port city of Jeremy on the other side of the peninsula. The south had a population of 242,000. According to the census of 1826, the population of Haiti was about 935,000, which is do about double what it had been when Haiti was a French colony. This shows that the system of small farms had created a large population increase, but unlike pet Etienne, Boyer was opposed to the system of small freehold farms. In next episode, we will watch his attempt to revive the plantation economy, Boyer's Code Rural.